Hey everyone, welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast where we talk about literally everything Kubernetes related from cloud to on-prem to Kubernetes for infrastructure engineers and developers and everything in between. My name is Michael Levan and I'm joined today with Richard Hooper who is an Azure MVP, Microsoft MVP if you're not familiar with that, and an Azure architect. He's also known as Pixel Bots, right? Is that Pixel, Pixel Bots, right? Pixel Robots. Pixel so Robots. Thank you yeah. on Twitter. So if you don't follow him, please go ahead and do that. Of course, we will do the, uh, you know, all the good stuff at the end of where to follow him, how to get all of his stuff, all that good stuff. Richard, what's up, man? How's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about everything AKS production related. Now, had a few episodes, uh, which you know is perfectly fine talking about AKS. I feel like AKS could be 200 episodes in itself, and we're not even close to that, so we're good to go. But in this episode, we are specifically going to be talking about AKS in production, how to think about it, how to run it, what organizations are doing today, and ultimately for everybody listening, you should be able to take everything that you learn and you know put it into your environment in one way or another. Cause of course, as we all know, there are 50,000 different ways to do one thing. So we're going to give you one cause we don't have enough time to uh, talk about the other 49,000. So <laughs> with that being said, uh, Richard, first and foremost, what do you do today in the Kubernetes space? So daily I am all about AKS, uh, where I work at intercept, uh, we're like, a. uh, a consultancy company with a managed services size. So we do, we focus on small startups and sort small, medium sized businesses. But mostly these businesses aren't just your typical enterprises, you know, selling products. These are software companies. So we focus solely on software companies. And these software companies either are coming from on prem world, another cloud, um, legacy infrastructure, legacy applications, and we're moving them, migrating them to Azure. And most of the time, I'd probably say maybe three and five customers is all about Kubernetes, AKS. So my life is literally live, sleep, breathe, drink, eat AKS. <laughs> awesome, man. Cool. So I guess the, the, the first question that I'll ask you here is, you know, I'm sure you've worked with other managed Kubernetes services, EKS, GK, whatever you've worked with, what do you think the differentiator is? Like if there is any at all, right? So like if we were going to do a differentiator, of course, not, not one is better than the other because they all have their pros. Um, but, you know, in terms of the differences, like wh where do you see that AKS is really a leader in this space from a managed Kubernetes service perspective? So uh, it's, it's a tricky one because there's so many things, like you say, that are the same. But the thing that for me personally, stands out one, Brendan Burns, the co-founder of Kubernetes, works at Microsoft. So you know it's getting a lot of focus from within the business because they've invested in hiring him and everything. So it's a key player to Microsoft. Two, Microsoft run use it to run Office, Xbox. So you know, again, it can be used in a high-scale, high-utilized, secure environment. So that's another tick. Two, uh, number three, not two again, um, it's integration into things that we we as sysadmins or developers are used to. And that's like Windows machines and Active Directory and, you know, all of that sort of enterprisey stuff, which you can then push down all the way down to the smaller businesses. You know, most companies have an Active Directory. So that means you can synchronize your Active Directory 
from on-prem up to Office 365 or Azure AED. And then from there, you can then integrate that into your AKS cluster. So you only have to disable that user in one place. You don't have to worry about manifest files to create a user inside your AKS cluster and then forget about deleting them because they've left and you know they still got access. So it's just that whole integration package. And number four, I would say that they love the open source. So they create all this open source software like Dapper. They've worked on Keda, which is like a, a key player in the scaling of your workloads, you know, and they, they've done all of this cool stuff with open source in mind. And what they do is to make it easier for us as administrators of the cluster, they create these AKS add-ons or these cluster extensions. So we can just do a few CLI commands or a bit of bicep. That application is then installed into our cluster and mostly managed by Microsoft. So we don't even have to worry about keeping it up to date and stuff like that. They take care of all of that for us, which is really cool. Yeah, so I think one thing that, that you mentioned there that I'd love to bring up is the whole idea of Active Directory. Uh, as I'm mm-hmm. sure everybody that's listening knows, Active Directory has for a very long time now been the de facto standard of how organizations are allowing users and service accounts and applications and everything in general to be able to authenticate and authorize for systems, applications, all that good stuff. Um, Active Directory was around far longer than Azure Active Directory and Azure Active Directory is um, you know, arguably just as good. So with with Azure Active Directory, one of the things that I really love uh, is that w- when I think about Kubernetes pain points, uh, the top three, the top two, maybe the first one is RBAC, right? Always mm-hmm. a major pain, always a major pain for organizations. And Azure Active Directory kind of like, you know, ultimately helps there, right? Like, are you, are you seeing a lot of organizations, instead of using standard RBAC and cluster roles and cluster role bindings and, yep. and all these things, they're just moving to Azure Active Directory? Yep, yeah, it's just so much easier. Like, it's just a simple command to integrate Azure Active Directory. You can then either use the built-in um, Azure roles for the RBAC, or you can actually create your own. You can scope them all the way down to namespace as well. And you're doing that all via bicep or through the cli so you can actually get that governance package in before you even deploy a cluster you can say it all at the whole like subscription level tenant level for your policies and stuff like that and you've got that landing zone ready to go so if someone adds a new cluster in at any stage and you've got these policies in that in place you've got the rbac sorted for you straight away you don't need to go and worry about thinking oh we've got a new cluster someone else might have created that but our security guys don't know about it yet it's all sorted for you. It's perfect. Right. And I think one of the really cool things as well is that Azure Active Directory works outside of AKS. So for example, mm-hmm. somebody can use Azure Active Directory for their GKE cluster, which is yep. awesome, right? Because you kind of have this one location where you know you don't have to worry about the <laughs> nuances of RBAC and from a from a raw standard Kubernetes perspective. You can literally set everything up in Azure Active Directory. And you can use it in AKS or if you're doing some type of hybrid model or you got workloads here, workloads in somewhere else, you can use it somewhere else as well, which is really cool. Yeah, that's with the Azure Arc side of things, which is really cool. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's definitely something everyone should go and look at if, they, if they've got an AKS cluster because you've you got to make it as simple. Kubernetes is tricky because it's a whole data center inside one product. So just keep it simple, you know, the best advice I can give to anyone. 
Yeah, I, I often get nervous because, again, you know, from, from a production perspective and, you know, everybody that listens, everybody that, you know, sees what what you and I are doing, we're, we're kind of always giving it uh, from a production perspective, not from a standard marketing perspective of, yeah, just use this mm-hmm. tool and this, you know, your life is your life is going to be easier. It's not the way that the real world works, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, unfortunately what a lot of marketing teams are pushing, uh, which is ultimately yes. making people confused all the time, constantly. So, you know like you said, right? Keep it simple. Don't use 5,000 tools to do something. Figure out what you like. If it's in-house, even if it's not, you know what, if it's, if it's an in-house application that you want to write to make your life easier, awesome. As, you, as long as the team is using it and as long as you aren't using 500 other tools or platforms that are doing the same thing. Um, so speaking of uh, production, again, we want to, we want to talk about things from a production perspective on this podcast. What do you think about Azure Stack HCI? You know, is there a market for it? Are people thinking about, hey, I want to use AKS, but I have 100 data centers and I want to pop this thing into my data center and I want to feel like I'm cloud native because technically at that point you still are realistically. Uh, But, you know, we have all this stuff on prem that we need to be able to manage. What what do you think? What's going on with Azure Stack HCI? So I think it's early, um, but we are starting to see a lot more companies think about it and even use it now but what we find is mostly these are companies where they have like sovereignty laws or you know data sovereignty issues um but microsoft are trying to fix that by adding more and more regions they've just opened a new one i think in in uh or somewhere like that i can't remember i just see a tweet recently on it um so they're trying to fix that but you have these companies where yeah like you say they've invested millions in a data center and they don't want to move from there just yet and this is where aks uh, hci does come into play even without the aks hci using um arc enabled aks as well so you have your on-prem vanilla i'm going to call it vanilla kubernetes because every version of kubernetes is now a deployment uh, um not a deployment what's the word um a distribution of kubernetes is what i'm trying to say so the aks is a distribution AWS one's a distribution, K3 is a distribution, the list could go on. So vanilla Kubernetes out of the box, currently 1.25. You can use that with Azure Arc and then you can control it all via Azure. So I think we're going to see more of that rather than AKS HCI. But HCI is good. And I think for people who want to start learning AKS and Kubernetes, it's quite a good point to use your existing infrastructure and get that sort of cloud feel to it. Right, right. Yeah, and I think the the funny thing about HCI is like when you peel back the hood, uh, and I did this a couple months ago to test it out and to see what was actually happening. So what I did was I uh, took a Windows Server 2022 box, I installed it, set it up as a standard Windows Server, and then I installed the Windows Admin Center. From Windows Admin Center, you have an, if you connect your server to Azure, you have an option to install AKS. And you can install AKS right on a Windows server and scale it out without HCI. So like mm-hmm. H, that's what HCI is underneath the hood. They're just people are just spending a ma- massive amount of money to get a few of these exactly. things abstracted away from you, which is really cool. Uh, and it's interesting. And I I wonder if again, right, because you know, we're talking like you said, you're talking about companies that are millions of dollars invested in a data center and or you know what maybe they just don't want to move 
certain apps. Maybe they want to mm-hmm. containerize certain apps, but they want to keep it on-prem for X, Y, and Z reason. It could be a million different things. Yep. I think that type of solution is great for them because what ends up happening is everything can be thought of from a, I'm going to, I'm, I'm doing quotes right now because I hate the whole buzzwords, but this cloud native perspective of managing and deploying your applications in a certain way. Cause right now those organizations, they have to manage their apps in the cloud and their apps on prem very differently, but mm-hmm. bringing something like AKS on prem gives you the ability to manage everything the same way. And who cares where it's running, right? Cause at the end of the day, exactly. again, peeling back these layers of abstraction, Wherever it's running, you're just managing your cluster with an API. That's all you're doing, whether it's on-prem, whether it's in Azure, whether it's a laptop that's sitting right next to you in your office, doesn't matter. So Mm -hmm. I I think, you know, that the whole idea of running this stuff on-prem is going to help a lot of organizations be able to take it to the next level. Yeah, I think it was uh, Jeffrey Snover said, the cloud is not a place, it's a model. And by using AKS, HCI, or Azure Arc, you actually can get that model on-prem, which is awesome. Right, yeah. And I think that's, that's the cool part about Kubernetes in general is, you know, you're, like you said, you're managing your infrastructure with an API. That's really the whole idea behind it. You know, the whole idea is you're not clicking through buttons. You're not going to different places and different portals. You have one box. You have an API. Well, you have multiple APIs. Uh, but, and then you're, you're hitting that box in different ways via an API, whether you're using YAML or using JSON, or you're programmatically hitting it with Go or Python, PowerShell, whatever you want, because mm-hmm. it's just an API. Oh, GitOps. GitOps, exactly. I mean, I'm yeah. sure we'll, we'll talk about that as well, but you know, there, there's all these different ways. And at the end of the day, at the, at the highest of levels, you're hitting an API, regardless of how you do it, regardless of where it's running. And that's kind of like the cool thing about Kubernetes, right? And and just everything mm-hmm. in general, you know, we could we could think about it the same way as like HashiCorp Nomad. We could think about it the same way as OpenShift. Like the whole premise is you're just hitting this orchestrator with an API programmatically. And that's I think that's like the the huge selling point, you know, again, r- ripping out the the marketing of this is going to make your life easier. It's most likely not. It may make your life harder in the beginning, but at the end of the day, the whole premise is it should make your life easier later because of how you're mm-hmm. managing the overall solution. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, you don't need to worry about the hardware, the servers, you don't need to get the PO and then wait three months for the hardware to come get delivered. And then you go set it up, rack it up. It's just, you hit the API it automatically in the background adds you a new VM. Mostly, depending on the region in Azure, you've got a limited compute. You know, sometimes they do run out, which is fine. Um, but it's just there. Like you say, it's just that one API, the Kubernetes API, and then that will call other APIs inside the cluster. And it's just, for me as a sysadmin, it's made my life so much easier from running batch scripts to install software on IIS and desire to say configuration to get everything called up and running properly i just click a few buttons or a bit of powershell or cli or bicep i've got my whole data center aks you know aks instead of the data center and this is there and it's just so much easier right but kubernetes is hard yeah kubernetes is hard <laughs> uh, I, I know i know richard and i have had this conversation i think we've we've tweeted about it several times of you know there's no such thing as uh, a master in Kubernetes. You know, I, I think it was, I forget if it was a few weeks ago, a few months ago. I, I don't know what day it is anymore half the time, but I tweeted something along the lines of like, 
Kubernetes just got into the public eye in 2015. It hasn't even been a decade yet. And if you follow the 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 standard of, you know, it takes about a decade to truly master something, nobody's there yet unless you were working at Google and you built Borg. <laughs> and then even then yeah. it's it's very it's Borg is different. I, I would even Kubernetes say and, that people who were there from the beginning on Kubernetes are probably not even a master now because Kubernetes, the whole ecosystem as well. We're not just talking about the one product Kubernetes. Right. You've got the whole ecosystem. But if we just focus on Kubernetes, you've got hundreds of developers working on that on different sections because you've got all those different APIs as we talked about. And there's a whole team of people, volunteers, open source contributors working on each one of those APIs. So not one person in this world, and I would bet money on this, can tell me everything about Kubernetes. So in my eyes... I would even say the cloud, people think they can focus on one part of the cloud and they're an expert on it, but they can't be because they've behind the scenes, there's hundreds of developers working on it, changing things every week. And it's impossible for one person to keep up to date with everything. So I think the days of the expert, like back in the day, I used to be an active directory expert because it didn't change much and I had the titles, but now there's no master, there's no expert in anything cloud related in my opinion. Yeah, no, I know I some people agree won't more. agree, but yeah, I think it's definitely like that. Yeah, I think the the cool part about our conversations all the time is we're we're usually ninety nine point nine 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 percent on the same page, and you know, yep. and and everybody else is is on a different page sometimes, which we see. <laughs> but you know, it, it's yes, it, I, I don't I don't think that you can be an expert, and this is it's very important to remember this. You know, from if you're in production, and if your boss or this person or that person is wondering why you aren't the kubernetes expert because nobody is right you know like like you said there's teams working on different apis and that's just the apis we're not even talking about the crds we're not even Mm -hmm. talking about the plugins we're not even talking about this company has this cni this company has that cni this company has this csi so many pieces to this puzzle that like it's, it's arguably never going to see a day where somebody is an expert. You can be a leader in the space. You can be mm-hmm. very good in the space. You could be production ready in the space, but there's no yep. possible way that you are ever going to know everything and anything about it. It's just not possible. Exactly. Exactly. So w- thinking about it from that perspective, thinking about it from, you know, Hey, I want to be uh, as close to an expert as possible. If somebody is implementing a KS in production right now, what are the things that they should be focusing on? And I feel like that's uh, probably an eight-hour conversation in itself. So <laughs> and then maybe, some. exactly. So maybe like, you know, the top five things, like if I came to you and I said, hey, listen, I, I've been running Kubernetes. I know Kubernetes, but, you know, I, I'm switching to AKS and I want to start running it in production. What are the five things that I should like really start out with? Okay, yeah, it's a good question. So the first thing I always say is, Plan your IP addresses properly because if, well, and actually to build on top of that, plan your workload properly because do you need Windows containers or is it just Linux containers? So you need to know that first from the get-go because it means you can either pick, if you have Windows containers, you can use, you can only use the Azure CNI in um, Kubernetes in AKS. If you're just using Linux, then you can use any CNI you want because you can bring your own ones now. So first off, you need to figure out what kind of workload you're running. Then you need to plan your IP ranges, 
because in AKS, if you go down the Azure CNI route, then it allocates all your IPs at the start. So however many maximum pods you could run on a node, it will allocate those IP addresses plus one for the node. There is a new feature where it will dynamically allocate those, but you still need to plan that IP address range for the potential growth you might have. Um, so definitely check your IP ranges and everything. But saying that, there is a new feature which got released yesterday, I think, and it's in such a preview that it's only available in West US in Azure, and it's CN, Azure CNI overlay. So that is basically an overlay network inside your AKS cluster, which is the same as Kubernet, but using the Azure CNI, so you, it's quite a cool feature. But again, it's in preview and it only supports Linux, so keep those in mind. The second thing is security. Get your rule-based access control sorted from the get-go. Figure out who needs access to the cluster. Maybe you utilize privileged identity management so no one has access to the cluster apart from, say, um, an API you've built which can push things from a, a pipeline or you know you could use GitOps and then you don't need anyone to have access to the cluster apart from the GitOps uh, APIs. So plan all of that out, right? Maybe use privileged identity management so... If you do need access to get to the command line, you have to get approval before you have access. Top security thing for production. And then I would say the the third most important thing is probably your maintenance. So your updates, your security updates, your so not just the Kubernetes security updates, we've got to think about these are virtual machines behind the scenes. So we need to make sure we have the if they're Linux, they get updated every night. And recently I don't know when this podcast is going out, but round about the 30th of uh, August, Azure had a big issue where a Ubuntu update got automatically rolled out to all of their AKS clusters and other services, which broke a lot of things due to DNS because, you know, it's always DNS. Um, and basically, there's this feature in AKS for all Linux workloads. They will automatically apply security updates every night. You could use a tool to reboot the servers and it would have fixed the issue but not everyone has that so you need to keep that in mind that all linux workloads will get updated and then you have to reboot it but there's also a feature where you can do weekly well close to weekly updates of the node image so the vhd behind the background which microsoft releases um, you can see that on their aks release page on github so you can either just do the updates for the linux nodes and then reboot it when there's a reboot needed you can do the weekly updates for the nodes, but then you also have the Kubernetes. So you've got your patch, your minor, and your one day, hopefully major versions, but we're, we're not there yet, maybe soon, I don't know. But you have to make sure you also patch those because AKS only supports the latest three versions. So I always sort of recommend stay in the middle version, but keep an eye on all the API changes in Kubernetes before you update because you could break your applications. So those are probably the three main points I would say. So you actually bring up a good point there. Now, I, I forget if we were talking about this or if I was talking to somebody else about this on, uh, on the socials, but the reality is, is that the cloud can go down. The cloud, mm -hmm. things can happen. Things can get borked just like it could on-prem. What is the reality that organizations should now take something like that, like what happened with, with the Ubuntu boxes and say, you know what? My workloads went down. My production level stuff went down. 
I need to think about a uh, DR solution. Is that mm-hmm. it? Number one, is that a reality for organizations that they should think about right off the bat when they're implementing AKS? Number two, what does it look like? Is it a hybrid solution where they're running AKS on-prem? Is it a multi-cloud solution where they're uh, maybe migrating workloads to GK or EKS or whatever? Like, is it, is it important and what does the solution look like? So yeah, definitely important because as you say, the cloud can have issues and we've experienced that recently, but every cloud could have issues. Even your on-prem could have issues. So what I see more and more is with Azure, for example, we have different regions and these regions are totally separate. And normally um, when they when Azure releases something, they have this safe delivery process, which means they roll out region per region and the AKS has a release tracker and you can actually see which regions get which updates. So most of the time for things like the actual software, and so I'm not talking about the virtual machine stuff here, but the actual AKS software and all that stuff, um, you can basically do region to region as your DR. So usually if there's an issue in, say, West Europe, your sister region is North Europe. So you could have a DR situation where you can then redeploy everything to North Europe and just switch DNS over or something like that. You could have active-active or you could have your infrastructure as code. So within uh, maybe an hour or two, you could have your whole system redeployed in a different region. Depending on the size of the company and how much they want to spend can dictate that. With multi-cloud, we don't see it that often because of the integration. So because these Kubernetes are different distributions between every cloud, even on-prem, the vanilla, vanilla one, they're, they're different. They're so different that it's, people think, Yes, I've got Kubernetes, I can run it anywhere. Yes, you can run Kubernetes anywhere, but your workload will probably most likely be tied in with things like Azure Kivel or mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, Azure Storage potentially. And yes, you could look at using, say, uh, HashiCorp Vault, but that's something else your sysadmins or your IT team has to look after mm-hmm. and they need to become as close to an expert as they can about that and be able, be confident that they can set another one up without any data loss. So it's all about getting that nice balance. So what we recommend to customers, is, it, it depends on their RTO, RPO and all that stuff, is just use the regions in Azure because we also have availability zones in most Azure regions. So if one availability zone goes down, you spread your workload over to three in Azure. So if one goes down, your workload can continue to run because you never run one replica of your application. Everyone does, but that you shouldn't because of, you know, HA. Um, so we recommend, well, I personally recommend having your two Azure regions. I think we will get to the multi-cloud and Azure Arc is working hard on that because you will hopefully soon be able to like integrate your AWS Key Vault system via Azure Arc and then you just hit the Azure Arc APIs to get it all. So, you know, that hopefully is coming and I think we're going to get there, especially now Azure Security Center also works on uh, GKE, uh, ECS and all that stuff or EKS. So we're getting there. We're probably not there yet because of the integration piece. Right. Yeah, I I totally agree with you there. It's it's a weird scenario because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the thing that happened with the Ubuntu boxes on August uh, 30th, that, that was all regions, right? It wasn't just mm-hmm. tied to one. Yeah. So, like, I 
I'm I try to think about it in almost like a two step approach, right? So like for so example, one thing I'm sorry, one thing I'm just gonna say on that Ubuntu issue, if you created a new cluster or rebooted the nodes, it was fixed. Mm-hmm. So if you did have your DR in a new um, region and you spun it up or you redeployed it, then you wouldn't have had the issue. So that's where the DR purpose would have been fine for this one. If we're talking about an actual Azure global service like Azure Active Directory, which went down recently, then you're going to have issues because you won't be able to log into your cluster and stuff like that. So that's when you when multi-cloud potentially could come handy, but then you have the issue of the multiple RBAC solution because you don't want to share your Active Directory over to GKE or AWS because that's a global service. And if that goes down again, and it has twice at least that I, I can remember, then you're screwed in multiple clouds. So there's no point in doing that. It has to be totally separate services for true multi-cloud DR. Yeah, I, 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 I think about it in like, I guess like a two-step almost where, you know, the first step would of course be what you said, right? Like go cross region. That's obviously the mm-hmm. best solution. Uh, stay in your ecosystem, right? Don't just go yep. to another cloud because you think that it's cool and you want to go to another cloud. It doesn't make any sense. They all do the <laughs> no. same thing. Stay where you're at. Um, but then you have that 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 thing of what you just explained, right? Where I think you know maybe this could be a good opportunity of where GitOps can ultimately come into play. So I know that it's not just this cut and dry, right? Especially if mm-hmm. you have different integrations with, like you said, Azure Active Directory, Key Vault, all these things. But in a world that I believe is very doable, I could see it as, for example, let's say you have your GitOps solution and you have a, a config that can go to AKS and then you have a config, same, same settings that can go to EKS, right? The one mm-hmm. that goes to EKS, this is maybe a hot cold scenario where AKS is hot, EKS is cold. If AKS goes down, you kick off the deployment to turn on EKS, right? Maybe it won't cover a hundred percent, but if you can mm-hmm. get it to the point where your app is up, and it's not considered downtime and users aren't going to your competitor because you're down mm-hmm. for five days. I think that could be a good middle ground of this multi-cloud thing, right? But again, that that opens up another can of worms where now you got to learn about GitOps, which is not easy. Yep. It's not the easiest thing to, to implement. And not just in GitOps in that. Yeah, not just GitOps in that situation because then you have to learn Azure or and then GKE and AWS. So this one person or small team of people, because it's always a small team of people who know Kubernetes, as you know, then has to try and squeeze in all this extra cloud stuff from a competitor or a different cloud in the head. And that's going to take a lot of resources, money, because that person is then so skilled, they could go get a job for double what they're getting paid where they are. So the company's not going to invest in that, I find. And then also you've got the application needs to, if the application, and I see this, probably more than we should the applications are talking directly to blob storage or directly to the key vault rather than using a csi driver or something right and then that that means the software developer has to then learn two different sdks and have switches in their app i've seen that a few times like when we're migrating customers from aws to azure they are writing their code their applications to have a switch in the config map saying azure or aws and then depending on what that is it will do different things but then you've got the technical debt you're getting and you've got two different technical debts because you've got two different SDKs. So we need something like Dapper, which can basically be an internal API that you can call and then 
depending on if it's Azure or AWS, it does all of that fun stuff for you. That's the SDK we need. Someone needs to build it because I can't build it. Um, and then I think I think that's when multi-cloud, true multi-cloud will take off. Yeah, no, exactly. Something like Dapper, something like even like, let's say there was extended functionality for like cluster API. Uh, and for, mm-hmm. for those that are listening that don't know what cluster API is, essentially like, uh, an automated CRUD operation for for your Kubernetes clusters. A lot of people use it uh, if they're like running Kubernetes on OpenStack, for example, and they want a way to automate all of this stuff uh, and, and create repeatable processes. But if there could even be something like cluster API or in cluster API that says, you know, oh, your AKS clusters go down, uh, take all your stuff and deploy it for me, right? Automatically, mm-hmm. like the SDKs, the API, all that stuff is abstracted away from you and it's and yep. it's managed and all that stuff like something like that yeah because it's it, it's it's scary man like being mm-hmm. being the person that the vp or the c-level comes to and says hey our app is down why wasn't this built in this hybrid cloud scenario this multi-cloud scenario and of course the answer is because we didn't have time because you didn't give us the money because you didn't give us the resources to learn it's never the engineer's yep. fault they always want to build it the right way but it's just a matter exactly. of who's going to give them who's going to give them the option to do it and then when something bad happens that's the same person's going to come and say hey wasn't this why wasn't this built in xyz so it's, it's yeah, the same yeah. with security isn't it like right. as soon as you get breached then you have a pot of money to fix everything <laughs> yep. it has to something has to happen before you get the opportunity to do that unfortunately yep but w- maybe one day exactly yeah it's it, i think it's the uh the harsh reality that we live in that's definitely for sure cool man well i feel like we could be talking about this constantly uh for the next four to six months uh, unfortunately yes. the, my recording software won't let us go that long and we need to sleep and eat and all that other weird stuff so Wrapping up here, uh, I think this was an awesome conversation. I think this gives folks a lot of ability to really start their journey into their AKS uh, production environment. Is there anything else that you'd like to say from that perspective before we wrap up and we get all your plugs going? Yeah, just basically, people are going to say Kubernetes is hard. And it is hard, but it's only hard because it's so vast. It's a whole data center in one product. So you've got to learn networking, um, storage, uh, compute, all of that fun stuff that us sysadmins have done in the past. So it's a bit easier for us, but developers who Kubernetes was target, targeted to by the, the marketing teams, they don't know networking and that. But don't be afraid of it is what I'm basically trying to say is it can take some time, but once you've got used to it and the way it works and, you know, understand the basic principles of it all and how it can actually make your life a lot easier. And I think you're going to enjoy it. So just don't be disheartened by everyone saying how hard it is because it is a steep learning curve if you're not from the background of data centers and stuff, but you will get there and you'll find life's nice and easy afterwards, but you will never stop learning afterwards as well. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, I couldn't agree more and I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, in fact, if you if whoever's listening, go go take a look uh, at my blogs and I have a blog specifically stating the prerequisites, whole list of prerequisites that you should have before you actually dive into this. It's going to make your life 10 times easier. Richard, where can everybody find you? Please do your plugs, your social media. I know you have a book coming out. Plug that as well. Cool. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. 
pixel underscore robots. I've got a blog, pixelrobots.co.uk. I've also got an AKS course on LinkedIn Learning um, called Learning AKS. So go check that out. It gives you basically what we talked about, the updating, security, patching, creating, CNI stuff. So definitely go check that out. It's only about an hour 18 long. Um, and then obviously this book hopefully will come out sometime this year or next year. We're still writing it. It's to learn all about the different types of options you have for containers in Azure. And it sort of goes from your small startup company with like one or two containers all the way up to an enterprise level integration with managed identity, um, Azure RBAC, role-based access control. So we're just trying to teach you everything you need to know to make sure you are ready to for your whole journey, basically, and where you can host your containers in Azure. And that's it, really. Awesome. Richard, thank you so much for coming on. This episode is definitely going to be useful for a ton of people, so I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. For everybody that's listening, thank you so much for the support. We really hope that you enjoyed it. And let us know if any episodes you know, come to mind that you would like us to cover, and we absolutely can. Richard, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you.